This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. And today I have a very cool experience. Uh, If you had told me five years ago that I would be in an abandoned silver mine vault on Main Street in Park City, Utah, in a location that has now been converted into a wine-producing facility with two very interesting guys, I would have said you're nuts, but here I am at Old Town Cellars on Main Street in Old Town Park City with Stephen McKay and Jason Morgan. Guys, welcome to the podcast. I mean, this is... Thanks, Scott. This yeah. is... This is pretty cool. I can't. I, I can't even begin to descri- describe our surroundings. It's subterranean. It's really cool how you've exposed all of this stonework under this vault. I mean, I even love the old timey stove that we've got going on in here. But I, I first, before we get into the story, I, I'm just going to ask you to kind of tell me a little bit about your background. And Stephen, I'm going to start with you. Tell me what brought you to this point. Sure, yeah. Uh, Jason and I are both from Park City. Um, grew up here, but I, my professional life, I became a sommelier. I uh, worked in restaurants in Park City from when I was 16 uh, until 21. Started running a wine program at an old restaurant, Shea Betty. After my undergraduate, moved to New Zealand to study under Master Sommelier Cameron Douglas down there for a while. Came back to the States, lucky enough to apply at Montage Deer Valley. Uh, worked under Dave Wallace, their beverage director for a while we're in that program uh, went to their flagship for a couple of years in Laguna Beach, California yeah, where been there. Troy Smith and a bunch yeah. of other songs kind of elevated uh, my knowledge of the industry and helped me a lot and then came back for an opportunity to run uh, Stein Erickson uh, Lodge's program as their director of wine and spirits all the while, J- while Jason and I were starting OTC uh, celebrating our fifth year anniversary yeah. in March yeah OTC now stands for Old Town Cellars Okay. Or over-the-counter if you're a fan <laughs> of pharmaceuticals or finance. <laughs> now, by the way, a lot of people don't know what Stein Erickson is. It's sure. The, probably the most preeminent or one of the most preeminent ski lodges in the area. Yeah, definitely. Um, they've been around for 35-plus years, but named after uh, Olympic gold medalist uh, Stein Erickson, who definitely uh, has elevated the status of ski culture uh, in the Mountain West over the years. Very cool. And how about you, Jason? I know you're from Park City, but okay. how did you get wrapped up in this? My uh, path has been an interesting one. Um, I graduated from the University of Utah. Um, go Utes. A, yeah, go Utes. Um, took a bridge year before starting grad school and um, basically just started ski, kind of doing the ski bomb thing for a while. Wound up in Squaw Valley, California, following the footsteps of some of my ski heroes and Wound up managing a restaurant at the base of Squaw Valley um, and had the fortunate opportunity of working underneath some amazing people in the industry and was the you know general manager and operations director for a restaurant out there um, and just kind of fell in love with the industry from a freedom standpoint, from a hospitality standpoint, and just first and foremost, I'm a mountain kid and I like the ability to play all day and then work at night. 
Well, Jason, I don't know if anybody told you, but making wine is not freedom. (laughs) Very true. And neither is hospitality. It's a lot of hard work. It is, yeah. But but back to you, Stephen, for just a second. You left out a fairly significant part of your background. You were a a very accomplished Nordic ski jumper, if I... Uh, Somewhat. I mean, level below World Cup, but... uh, Level below World Cup. Definitely took It took me all 15 years to kind of hone my my skill set to be decent for only two years of those 15. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. Taught me a lot about dedication, discipline, and um, at the time was the closest to a non-powered flight for a human being. But now you've got guys that are wingsuiting. And uh, same thing with Jason. That's kind of why... We love living here as we're outdoor enthusiasts, skiers, mountain bikers. I used to play ice hockey a little bit, uh, but definitely now in my, my mid-30s, settled down from the, the true extreme actions that we did. Well, you know, I think my, my personal ski jump record's three feet. <laughs> and barely landed that one. So, you know. At least you landed. Uh, how did you two get together? I know you kind of, you I think you were like peewee uh, baseball yeah. friends or something like that, but... Something happened later on in life where you two reconnected. It was in my previous life. I worked in in sports medicine, and um, I had known Stephen for years, obviously since we were little kids. And um, I was kind of helping him out with a knee injury remotely um, when I was living in Tahoe. So we kind of stayed in touch, helping. I think it was an MCL injury, mm-hmm. and yep. um, just kind of had a dialogue going. And the storm of the year was rolling through Northern California, and I got a text message like hey man can i come up and ski and stay on your couch for a few days and six and a half years later here we are wow so a storm brought you together and as i recall actually even kept you a little captive yeah no um one of jason's um good friends caitlin uh, was running a uh, wine bar called uncorked in the village there and as soon as they got to town it was just nuking one of our terms when it comes to snow terminology um and we Went to Uncorked after ski day one day and probably started drinking quite too few many bottles of Riesling and Gruner Veltliner. And uh-huh. <laughs> later on, we'll talk about our Mountain Town White and why. Yeah, what, yeah I definitely want to there. get there, yeah. Um, but I've always been a huge fan of Austrian Gruner Veltliner. I think it's my favorite white varietal. I think it's so versatile. Um, Riesling, of course, too. Yeah, just uh, not to be cliche and say that this kind of started on a bar napkin, but it's sort of dead in a drunken stupor. So here you are, five years later, yeah. you're, you're about to celebrate five years here. i got to ask, guys, why Park City? Why Utah? Of all places. No offense, by the way, yeah, Park no, City or Utah, right? I mean, none but, it's, yeah. but it is a, it, it's a tough state uh-huh. to develop uh, an alcohol culture in. It is. Um, I think, you know, I can speak for myself where I was, I was ready to part ways with my time in Northern California and and come back to Park City. Um, My family's here. My closest friends are here. um, And we also kind of felt like we had a slight home field advantage, if you will, by coming back to Park City. I mean, Stephen and I worked in the industry um, in Park City for a long time, and just networking alone gives you a head start with distribution and getting your wines on different lists. It's also a familiar place. And it gives you an advantage when you kind of, you know, the lay of the land. Yeah, I think to go off of that, just coming coming back to the culture that we love and appreciate and that has given so much back to us and, and having the opportunity to do this has been amazing. Uh, when it comes to wine, 
I think we're both on the same page when like trying to demystify wine in a liquor control state that is still heavily run by the church. Um, that's been an interesting obstacle course, if you will, to navigate. We've learned a lot the last five years. We've had individuals that have 10,000 bottle wine cellars that come in and taste our wine. We've also had, you know, kids from, you know, a couple counties down the hill uh, that have just turned 21 that have never had wine that come up. So it's been really fun to kind of be that open place for people to enjoy uh, wine and make it fun again. Well, I have to say this has been a wonderful discovery for me. How we all met, how the three of us <laughs> met, I think is, is probably a story for another that's, day. That's part. <laughs> let's just chalk it up to serendipity at this point. But I, I have to say that just meeting the two of you is infectious. You have this vibe about you that just pours out of you and you want to be around you. And so I can see how this has become such a successful uh, venture for both of you. I was really blown away by your website and kind of the how avant-garde it is and the photography of it. And uh, I'd have to say, the, the uh, Jason, the picture of you just covered in snow <laughs> is, is awesome. Was that something you guys were really looking for? Was that a direction you wanted to head? Because it's, it's a pretty interesting vibe for a wine yeah. website, right? It is. I mean, I think we are fortunate enough to live in a really great place. Um, Park City is a neverland of sort where we all get to be kids and have fun and play in the mountains and have a good time. And from day one, um, we were very passionate about having that be portrayed in our service and in our style of, of what we do, where it's, you know, the mountain life is fun and we want to share that with our guests. And what about the, the photography and the design? Yeah. Was that some the direction you were heading in? How did that evolve? We were skiing. You invited me to go to Alto one day. Yeah. I was doing a, a photo shoot with the, my buddy Dan Campbell, who has since become a partner, friend, mentor. And we were setting up a shot, and basically Stephen poached the shot <laughs> and got this amazing powder turn off the top of Baldy's shoulder at Alta, Utah. Basically, a friendship between the three of us was formed that day and been uh, growing ever since. I mean, Dan's artistic vision and skill set is unparalleled, and um, he really does, as we like to joke, make us look a lot cooler than we are. Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. Well, I've got to tell you, meeting you in person, you're pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, so, I, I encourage anybody listening to the podcast definitely go to the website, check it out. It's very cool. Uh, the website is uh, it's otcwines.com. Otcwines.com. Very good. Now, I also understand that you have a very different management style here, right? You're pretty. You know, you're not me boss, you employee, you guys have kind of a non-traditional family setup that you've set here. Yeah. For us, it's, you know, we want our crew's personality to shine. And so we're there, you know, we're very much about individuality, self-expression. There is not really a hierarchy. I mean, Stephen and I take out the trash. We, I run the recycling. Tonight, we'll probably run the dishwasher all night um and that's by hand by hand but it's you know it's it's i come from a team sports background and and you lead by example and you lead by subservience and that's something i take very seriously in my management style that we're here for them we're here for our crew to make their life easier their job better and anything we can do we will 
Yeah, from my perspective, I did the uh, the three-piece suit in the middle of summer in Laguna Beach, California, outside on a patio, and you know, bring a couple extra shirts and put them in the champagne cooler. But um, <laughs> that taught me a lot. But I think we also can achieve the same thing um, by doing it a little bit differently and instilling confidence in our crew and and yeah, letting their personality shine, letting them wear you know what they want, what they're comfortable in. Um, they're highly educated. Uh, Foster has worked with Philippe Melka and Napa for the last couple of years. Uh, wow. He's been at Etude, he's been at Thela. Um, and then we just got another great gal, Shelby, who just ran the 80-ton Chardonnay program at Costa Brown this fall. So wow. we're super lucky because we are in yeah. a very dry state that you know we're trying to open up the thought processes of what alcohol manufacturing and what wine is. Um, so to have, be lucky enough to have you know two, three people that have done it. Um, and then our, and our friend Sean Palmer, he used to run the beverage program at Spruce in San Francisco. And he started his own company. So we're trying to, I've always liked this, like so many people have done it for us, but we're trying to send the elevator back down and bring people up with us. That's really cool. And particularly in Utah, where yeah. I've got to imagine that ele- elevator gets stuck on a few floors once in a while. <laughs> right? No doubt. Yeah, yeah. that gets stuck from time to time. It's, it's yeah. a tough, you know, but it's got to start somewhere. It's, it has to start somewhere. And, and, and I love the groundswell that you're bringing to this now and before i actually i'm going to digress one more time and back to you steven so a couple of years in laguna beach did you ever learn to surf absolutely not no <laughs> no all right i'll leave that to kyle any <laughs> cool. we're kindred spirits surfers and skiers are yeah. cut from the same cloth uh, all right just uh, I, need, I, need, I need two planks attached to me <laughs> So no snow, no snowboarding either. Uh, I just the water doesn't bode well with me. I mean, I've tried water skiing, tried wakeboarding. For whatever reason, my brain doesn't conceptualize yeah. what needs to be done for that. Well, it's snow. It's just liquid. Yeah, and I'm yeah. built. And I'm it's, built and to it's moving, so yeah. it doesn't go Same well. Thing. Yeah. All right, I'm just, built to not. Fit. I had to ask. <laughs> so let's morph back into the winemaking process for a moment. Sure. Here you are producing wine in Park City. With grapes from, I think, California and Oregon, and is there stuff in coming in from Washington? Yeah, the last five years we've sourced, um, primarily started with bulk wine opportunities, uh, and then we got slowly integrated uh, a little more into the, the culture on the West Coast. Uh, our sort of chief winemaker that we brought on now, his name's Charlie Kidd, he's made wine in Virginia, North Carolina, Texas, Oregon, California. Uh, been a, a vast wealth of knowledge for us and a mentor as well. Um, he pretty much follows along the fermentation curve out in Oregon. That's kind of where we primarily are is in the Umpqua Valley, just south of Eugene. And we'll go out there every year, every fall for a couple of weeks to pick and crush and get everything in the tank, inoculate it ourselves, and then we'll kind of let him take over. Uh, he graduated with an enological degree uh, from Cal Poly a while back. Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. And he's uh, Great program. Yes. a really, really awesome dude. He's one of the few. I don't think there's many out there still, but he's the viticulturalist, the enologist, the winemaker. He does it. He does it all. Now, are, are you doing a custom crush there and then uh, transporting the juice here? Yeah. And then doing the, the bottling and labeling here? Doing, so we're doing the final blends bottling here. Wow. Um, the labels themselves, and we can certainly talk about that. We've got a great graphic design team that has allowed us to go from paper labels to uh, a screen print. We're sourcing that glass. Uh, it's, it's American glass out of Seattle from Arda, uh, but then we're getting it screen printed uh, in British Columbia by Universal Packaging. Okay. And then, but again, the, the probably to me the most important part is you're actually doing the blending here yep. on site 
in Park City, yeah. in Old Town. At the back door when you first met us. It all occurs back there. It's it's Stephen, myself, um, Sean, Palmer, sure. who we mentioned yep. before, um, and whoever happens to be around will get to chime in a little bit. Ooh, pick me, pick me. <laughs> I've been in a lot of blending sessions, and I have to say that's really where a lot of the magic happens. You know, it's uh, it's one thing getting the the grapes into the fermentation process. It's quite another taking the final product and and making some magic happen. Yeah. So very excited about that, and very excited about tasting these two wines that we have in front of us in in just a second here. I'm, I am just kind of curious, how has this whole venture been received by both the residents of Park City, the visitors to Park City? Uh, you know, you walk by, and I have to say, I've seen the trucks around town, the, the, the OTC truck, and I've walked by this door a, a dozen times, and I never thought to really stop in until recently when I needed to stop in. <laughs> uh, and, and now I am absolutely obsessed with this place. So how, how is the evolution? How did you, how did you turn the tide for people yeah. like me? I think a lot of our the way people have received us in town is similar to your your path and your trajectory. When we told our friends that we were doing a winery in Park City, and they were like, "What? Yeah, why? Who? No, good luck." Yeah, um, you know, it's it's the West. People want to drink whiskey. People want to drink craft beers, and it's like, so I mean, we definitely had an uphill battle from day one, earning the trust of you know the clientele. But I think, you know, the most important thing, like Stephen said before, is the culture of de demystifying wine. And, and we've been fortunate enough to, you know, have regulars from, from day one. People come in and, you know, Devin and Eric have been supporting us huge. And obviously Dan Campbell and people who we met along the way who have helped us out and, and let us earn their trust. But I do think it's, it's taken a little bit of time to kind of prove that we can do wine well in a state, both geographically and politically, that it's very tough to do so. Well, I, I will tell you that you can probably now count me among your regulars. And, it, and it's funny, you did say we're in the West where there's, you know, a lot of whiskey culture. You are right around the corner from High West Distillery. Yeah. And they've so. been great to us. I mean, it's that it, the, within the industry, people have been wonderful. You know, the distilleries, Alpine Distilling, High West Distilling, all the breweries, have been nothing but helpful to us as far as knowledge or loaning us some equipment or you know reciprocity on the menus unbelievable support within the industry what do they say it takes a lot of good beer to make great wine yes, sir. <laughs> uh, I, I have to say i did try your pinot noir the other night i i had it with my two of my adult children and the one thing that all three of us said simultaneously was wow that is a clean wine that is a really well-made wine. And it's from Umpqua. You would traditionally think that Pinot from Oregon is going to come from Willamette Valley, yeah. not from the southern end of the state. Right. But that wine was delightful, and it was really drinkable. Yeah, when you said you liked lighter Pinots, I was like, oh, we'll hear back from here in a little bit, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it was. It was while it, was, it wasn't Burgundian, I don't want people to think, you know, sure. the, hearing out about that Pinot, it wasn't Burgundian. But it was very feminine, very uh, lovely, and it was a lighter style Pinot, but don't confuse lighter style with lack of flavor. Right. 
Uh, it had it you know it had plenty of quote juice behind that yeah. line, but it was so clean and flawless. I think that speaks to the talent and skill set of of Charlie. You know, the, yeah. the viticulturalist and winemaker, and then you know Stephen's palate drives pretty much all of our final blends. But I think it starts at the top there with you know a gentleman who grows amazing grapes up in the Umqua. Well, and I'll be honest and frank, so the reason that he's involved is that I th- I started going down the uh, the enological path with UC Davis, got into their online program for mm-hmm. one reason or another, and when we were sourcing, sourcing bulk wine, and I can make fun of myself, I thought that using a plate filter at point four or five microns was the same as using a sterile membrane filter, and so for like about a year and a half... Because of me, my fault. We had <laughs> re-fermentations going on in the bottle of all the oh. whites and the rosés because I didn't know the difference between the two, that one was absolute and one wasn't. So I started... So fizzy wines. Yes. <laughs> we had fizzy wines. Well, pet nap, people like it, it's fine. Accidental <laughs> sparkling. Yeah. Throw a little pair of cognac on top and call it a cocktail. <laughs> Accidental sparkling. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I've been lucky enough to, to and be blessed enough to have really awesome people surrounding us that um, even when I do screw up or we make mistakes, they believe in what we're attempting to do. Awesome. Well, you know, i got to tell you, you're doing it well. Thank you. You are. Thanks. So now it comes, and by the way, I should probably mention at this point in the podcast, the three of us are actually face-to-face, which is a fairly rare phenomena, given that we're hopefully at the end of the whole pandemic and you know, hopefully going to be getting our shot soon and, and we can move on with a no, more normal life. But we are all wearing masks, so if it sounds a little muffled <laughs> on the podcast, there is a good reason. We're not heavy smokers. Yeah. That's right. So it is now my favorite point in the podcast where we get to find out what's in your glass. All so right. you got two wines for us to try today. Very excited about this. Both under screw cap. Yeah, the uh, the first one is uh, our Mountain Town White. So, right. hails from the Umpqua Valley, um, and like I wow. mentioned before, uh, something that I really like is yeah, blending different things together. Uh, so Riesling primarily, about sixty six percent Riesling, and then backed up by eighteen percent Viognier. The rest is Gruner Veltliner. Uh, and the reason we wanted to do a Riesling as well is to break down once again the. The preconceived notions that I think we've we've all heard in this industry, where people think riesling is always sweet, and it doesn't have to be, and it's all about style and what you want to put in front of your consumer. Well, you really get the gardenias from that viognier just singing uh, on the nose. That is just okay. I took my mask off. To I took my gum out of my mouth. <laughs> and this best part about this bottle is, you know, for the last couple of years, but especially here. Our entire crew went up to Roseburg and harvested and crushed all the grapes that eventually became this. So really? we brought up Sean, Sarah, Dan came up. Obviously, Stephen and I are up there. Um, so our whole crew was very integrated into this uh, final product. What a mouthful of fun. Thank you. That is just, again, I'm going to say clean. Super clean. This one thing. Yeah, I'm glad you, let, you, you hired this guy. <laughs> Me this <too>. is. <laughs> He's great. Well, yeah, and this is yeah. going back to like sort of our marketing campaign. Is Jason had the brilliant idea years back to have us trademark Old Town Cellars as the official wine of Apre. And if you're unfamiliar with Apre, it's a cultural um, 
involvement of what you do after you ski. And it literally translates to after, so you know, if you go to Chamonix or, or Innsbruck in Austria and you go ski all day, well you go drink wine and party after. And so that's kind of our whole style and vibe and that's what we want to mm. um, kind of let people know about us. Is it? I know I'm probably going to slaughter the name of the of the dish that they have in Austria, Ricklet. Oh, raclette, raclette, raclette. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Would this not be oh. killer with raclette? Raclette, fondue, schnitzel, schnitzel yeah. by itself. I mean, we kind of going back to that first fateful night at Uncorked where we were drinking Riesling. That's kind of where this whole inspiration really started. Was an easy drinking. Get you in trouble eventually, white wine. Oh, I hope so. That's <laughs> what you probably should have called it. it. Was like you know trouble, because I I can tell you I could just I could drink this all night. So let me let's talk a little bit about the profile for people listening to this. I, I mentioned that there's you know gardenia on the nose. You've got w- white flowers, very again very typical of that uh, of of the Viognier. But you also sort of start to get this slaty minerality that pops up, I, and I'm going to say that's got to be the riesling in there. That's contributing to that. Yep. Definitely, I get a lot of white peach too. And stone fruit. Yeah, a lot of stone fruit. Getting definitely I think the stone this fruit. Line, like I'm a huge fan of, of Pacific oysters, like Shigoku's, Kushis, Kumamoto's. Yeah. Even the first two are the same. If I'm not drinking bubbles, I, I, I would drink something like this for sure. High acid. Very high acid. Great mouthfeel. Super juicy in the middle yeah. of the cheeks. Right. You're getting that beautiful acidity coming through. Yeah, and the aromatics, the nose on this wine, I think um, that first impression is just... Guys, I don't know whether to drink it or wear it. (laughs) Down behind my ears. I mean, this is just a beautiful wine. Yeah, a little lime zest note, some pepperiness too in there from the Gruner, but... um, That lime, yeah, on the end really comes through. Yeah, well well done. Thank you. Well done, boys. Thank you, sir. Well done. All right, what's next? Uh, This is uh, our... So there's a mountain in Little Cottonwood Canyon called Mount Superior. My favorite mountain. Okay. Why? Um, It's directly across the street from Snowbird, for anybody who's been in the area. And it's this massive, beautiful face. It's kind of in right there in your face. Um, And it's an unbelievable ski line when you get it right. It is a backcountry line, so you have to kind of be careful. But um, it's one of the more magnificent aesthetically pleasing mountains we have around here and we thought it'd be appropriate to name a wine after it so this guy's um another fun little side project that jason and i kind of conjured up with charlie um (laughs) it's a hundred percent tempranillo yep but from 2016 17 and 18 vintage what yeah and the cool thing though and you can talk about how you didn't want to do it yeah but um so wait, wait. Let's just back up. Just make sure I understood what you just said. So, it is not a single vintage Correct. wine. It is a tri vintage. Tri vintage. Sixteenth, seventeen, eighteen. New World Tempranillo. From Umqua Valley. Umqua. Okay. Yeah. Same region. Uh, Twenty um, twenty-five acre vineyards we work out of primarily. Um, and then the really cool thing is we aged it nine months in uh, whiskey barrels. So old Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, and wild turkey barrels. Okay, which is a thing now, right? I mean, that is a very it's become popular, a thing, and it's I, a very popular thing. Stephen and Charlie proved proved me wrong, and I'm glad I was wrong. I mean, I've had wow, you've both been wrong. I've been very wrong on this project <laughs> more often than not. Yeah, um, when Charlie told me 
and Stephen told me that they were wanting to do a whiskey barrel aged wine. I was super hesitant. I felt that I've had so many bad whiskey barrel aged yeah. anything yeah. over the years. Yeah. Bad whiskey barrel aged beers, whiskey barrel aged kombucha, you name it. Mm. They're, very rarely do I feel like they're worth it. As soon as I barrel tasted this, I very quickly realized I was wrong. And this is unbelievable. I couldn't be more proud of the boys this on this This is delicious. Yeah. So, right off the bat, I would have to tell you, I would not say Tempranillo. Like, it, the, the nose to me is a bit baffling. Not in a bad way. No. Not at all. But it's throwing me off because, you know, I've, I've had a fair share of Tempranillo in my life. And what I get out of this, it's it's hard to, de- to describe. I guess it's it's got a lot going on in there. But you're definitely picking up the whiskey barrel notes. It's, I know it. It's smoky. Yep. It's got this really beautifully, not super smoky, not like off-putting. It's really just this super cool undercurrent of smoke, smoke and char. Yeah, and the tobacco. It's and, coming up from yeah. it. I feel like this is like pretending to be coat roti almost a little bit. It does. I think if I yeah. were tasting this blind, I, that's the first place I would go. Just because of the smoky characteristic. Is right? it smoky and almost like a. a but it's kind of got, like a black olive thing going on yeah, in there, too. Right. Mm-hmm. But then it's got this like zesty component to it as well. Another mouth-watering, kind of salivating dynamic from the palate. And <sighs> that would lead me toward, like I was blind tasting this, it would lead me toward Grenache for me. Um, but Wow, so I'm I'm uh, one of my children are coming into town today, and uh, he loves rack of lamb, so I'm, I'm roasting a, a rack of lamb. And this, this, oh, is, yeah. this is its moving buddy right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this wine with a rack of lamb would be just amazing. So, 16, 17, 18, explain this. What were you thinking about doing a multi-vintage, and, and I have to say this is the first time I've ever had a multi-vintage Tempranillo in my life. Yeah, right. So, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of it's due to the pandemic. Um, this isn't the traditional glass we'd use for this. Um, one of our biggest partners in the state, Culinary Crafts, they're a catering company, regrettably, they've lost about 90% of their business so we had a contract with them for this specific glass but we like to have a lot of flexibility so that's why we have American non-vintage red wine blend on the back of some of mm-hmm. our bottles or the white or the rosé the same thing so we have some flexibility and pivot points based on what's happening in the market or smoke taint, fires what, you know, whatever calamity is coming next so to help them out a little bit we offloaded this glass and so Charlie and I started talking about like what kind of side project we could, could we do going into winter having struggled ourselves and we needed to fill another red into our portfolio didn't want to go as big as our cab we've done Syrah before um, felt that like just our consumer base here is more about food friendly wines than just overbearing depth um, and, and rich opulent wines so we started there and I just started going through the barrels and yeah, and, and then just I don't know probably had too much wine one night. Just <laughs> <brainstorming>. <laughs> Seems like your best ideas come from too much wine. They usually yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's that sweet spot. So yeah. the, while the nose certainly, is, you know, threw me off, the the palate is is Tempranillo. That's just dead center of the bell curve. Tempranillo, beautiful wine. Um, really, actually, almost even takes me back to Rioja. But again, this underlying smokiness, it's just beautiful, and the acidity is pitch perfect in this. I'm curious. Uh, how did the blending occur for this? Was there are there equal parts sixteen, seventeen, eighteen? Is it? Did you guys kind of fool around with with the formula a little bit? I'm, I'm fooled just... around. We tried to get as close as possible to a third, a third, a third. But uh-huh. 
you know, and then putting them in different whiskey barrels. Then we just threw it all together, and it turned out okay. So. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a method to our madness, but I don't know. No, there is not. I know. There's not. No, the method. The method is the madness. Is the palate-driven wines, and so you know our palate, Stephen, with his very accomplished. Very um, sophisticated palate. Did you hear that, Stephen? Sophisticated. Your and then you know, I can't even spell that word. And I, you know, as a relative newcomer to the industry compared to my peers, the palate that I, you know, I feel the fairly entry to moderate level wine drinker can appreciate. And yeah, I got it. Combined, this is a drinkable wine. Yeah, right. Yeah, and very. that's where you come from. Is, where I come is from. this drinkable? Yeah. Can you know, I serve this at a bar? And will. The majority of people sitting at our bar enjoy it, and I think that that question is answered with a very big yes. On yeah, this, one. this wine is really—I got to tell you—just um, out of curiosity, what do these two wines retail for? Uh, the Mountain White is uh, seventeen, and the Whiskey Temp is thirty. Okay, seventeen and thirty. Whiskey Temp. That's cool. Yeah, that's our quick we, little. We abbreviate yeah. everything around here, so. All right, but it, it is. Technically called the Mount Superior Tempania, correct? Yes, correct. All right. Can people purchase these wines, or do they have to consume them on site here? Both. So we have the ability to serve any of our wines in-house by the glass or by the bottle. Also have the unique ability in the state of Utah to sell packaged wine out the door seven days a week, which is great. Well, speaking of unique... This has to be one of the most unique experiences I've ever had, and I want to thank both of you for joining me on the podcast today. Gentlemen, cheers. Cheers. This is well done. Thanks for, thank you so much Thanks for hanging out with us, Scott. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. This episode was produced by Sarah Beth Hensley, and the music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and catch my Wine of the Week shows every Friday on WTOP and WTOP.com. And remember, until the next time, do good, drink well, 